So we'll look at uh, the story of Gideon. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the Bible, we're not going to read Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. But the book of Judges, it comes after the book of Joshua. It's a book that covers a part of Israel's history where they had no king, but God every now and again raised up a judge or a leader to give them some kind of leadership. As you read the book, it's full of moral depravity. I mean, you read it and think, what, how on earth can God bless this nation given what's going on? Some of you know the story of Samson, and if you've read the story of Samson, you think, wow, this is interesting. A man who's a drunken womanizer is still a grace-filled man of faith to deliver the nation. If you read the story of Gideon, which we'll do shortly, you'll see again at the end of his life, he's a man who actually had an idol put in his name to worship. And then you read others like, uh, well, we won't go on to it, Abimelech and Jephthah, and you think, wow, this is an interesting book. And it is a great book to read. And it commends faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And these men get a mention in the Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11, Hall of Faith, as men who are commended for their faith. Uh, You don't actually get any of their weaknesses mentioned in the New Testament. If you try to find... David's sin, Abraham's, Moses, Jephthah's, Samson's, Gideon's. You try and find it in the New Testament, you won't find any reference to it. Now, those of you who are more adept at this may think, well, why? Why is that the case? Well, it's actually because in the New Covenant, all your sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And when Jesus died on the cross... That atonement goes right back into eternity that way. It goes right back into eternity this way. All sins and lawless acts are covered no more. You won't get any mention of David's adultery. You'll have no mention of Moses' stoning and murdering. You'll have no mention of Samson's womanizing or anything like that. Because in Christ, the sin and debt is cancelled. The only sin mentioned in the New Testament of Old Testament heroes are those who are unrepentant. Those like Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Now, I could take you into a lot more detail on that, but I'm not. That's just a little appetizer for those of you who like to study these things. We are new covenant Christians. We are not old covenant. And these are examples written to encourage us. So if you look at the hall of faith, what does it encourage us? It encourages us, amongst other things, that your sins and lawless acts I'll remember no more. Only that which is redeemed in the cross is kept and held up and magnified. And I think that's thoroughly good news. Do you? I think it's fantastic news. Absolutely wonderful news. Well, we're going to look at Gideon now. And I've given a handout so that you can read it in your own time. It's not a particularly complex one. Chapter 6 looks at his calling. Chapter 7 will look at his conflict with the Midianites. And chapter 8, the calamities that came when he didn't actually face up to some of the things that were being rattled in his own life. Now, do you want to put the photograph up here, Uh, Graham? I've got a photograph for you to look at. Now, I want you to look at that. And uh, in Judges 6.14, Gideon is told, go in the strength that you have. Now, if I knocked on your door and I said, I'm setting myself up a DIY industry. Here I am, I've got a saw and a drill. I want you to put your hands up, those of you who know me, and be very honest. 
How many of you would be confident that I've been sent with the anointing and gifting of God to do this work for you? Put your hands up. I'd like to see a bit of faith here in this room. Is there any mustard seed of faith? Come on. There's got to be a... It's stupidity. Is there any mustard seed? None at all. Well, there is tremendous wisdom in this house. Wisdom does not contradict faith. And you have tremendous wisdom, all of you. You're looking at a man who thought he could fix a toilet that was leaking internally by sticking blue tack onto this pipe. And of course, the water rose and rose and rose and went and started flooding it even more. Is that not true? I've only ever attempted... I'm not trying to cop out of doing DIY here. I'm genuinely rubbish. I, uh, one more story. I don't do any washing in the washing machine. I'm not allowed to. Because I don't believe in uh, conservative measures, so I put... I, I, I did put once half a box of washing powder, jumpers that needed to be done on cool, on hot, and it came out shrunk and full of rubbish. So I have, I, I'm aware of my weaknesses. Uh, so no matter how much... I mean, I look one of those conman builders that you find, you know, but, you know, budget builders and co. Well, that's what I am, a budget builder. So we'll get that photograph off. That's not me. We don't want to put the other one up. Just take that one off. So we look at calling, the conflict, and the calamities of Gideon. And he was called because Israel had got to the point where they were oppressed by a country called the Midianites. That would be the equivalent, and there's a lot of this in the papers at the moment because of new books and films. It would have been the equivalent of... Hermann Göring getting his act together in 1940, winning the Battle of Britain, Hitler comes over, conquers Britain, bang, we're all under the German sort of Nazi occupation. Seven years in, God saying to someone like a wannabe Winston Churchill, who wouldn't be there by then if they had occupied, I want to raise you up to liberate this nation from Nazi Europe. The reason I say that is because Gideon is often seen as a Charlie Chaplin figure of fun in school, in Sunday school. This man is no Charlie Chaplin. This man is a man of faith, a man of courage, a man of steel, a man of guts, a man of faith, a man of humility. He is a man who, in Nick's words, would want to fight. But he could fight because he had an encounter with the living God. He had an encounter with the throne room that Nick led us into well earlier in the meeting. He had an encounter with Yahweh. And when you've had an encounter with God, that enables you to have a little bit of faith to believe that you could take on even a nation like the Midianites that are like, if you can imagine, Nazi Germany under the jackboot of Britain. Or if we want to bring it more up to date, let's suppose ISIS suddenly took over the whole of Britain. And they were our enemies and they were oppressing us. And God just said, I want to raise you up to liberate your nation. I'm just using it as a contemporary example. Why? Because we sanitize these passages. We sanitize political history. We sanitize current affairs. And we sanitize it because we live in a culture that doesn't like talking about death that doesn't like talking about sickness, that doesn't like talking about the kind of things that the culture has done everything it can to inoculate us from thinking about. I've lost interest in the number of times I had to gently but firmly in my spirit resist the lie that 80 is the new 60. It's not the new 60. If you're 80, you're 80 and you're close to the grave. 
You don't suddenly redo time and go back 20 years and put off death. 90 is not the new 70. 90 means in a year or two, you're going to be dead. So face up to it, rather than putting it off. I think you might not be. If any 90-year-olds are here, I pray you get the letter from the Queen. I really do. In fact, I'm really praying that you get letters from the Queen, Gwen. You're not 90, I know that, but I I pray you get letters from the Queen. And... um, but we need to desanitize some of this stuff. Gideon was thrown into a really heavy fight. This calling was massive. And some of us have been thrown into some big callings where we're up against real spiritual fights, real spiritual contexts that need overcoming faith. Amen? And we need that. Now, let's just keep, keep very briefly. I, I, we can't look at the whole of this book of the whole of this story, but I've just jotted down one or two things that need to be probably just drawn out. God meets with him and says, go Gideon in the strength that you've got, mighty man of valor. And the first thing he asks when he's told this, this is in chapter 6, God comes to him and says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O Lord... If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his miracles which our father told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And it feels as though Gideon's thinking to himself, and he is, he's wrestling with this, you've called me a man of God, you've said you're with me, but the circumstances would suggest different. The Midianites have got control. Everyone's in a cave. Everyone's frightened to death to even sneeze in front of a Midianite king, let alone go to war with them. How can this be? Overcoming faith doesn't deny the facts and the circumstances you're in. Faith is not fantasy or escapism. Faith looks at the facts, considers them. Abraham said that. Paul said that of Abraham. I think it's Romans 4.20. Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Now, what Abraham was promised was a baby through the womb of a hundred-year-old woman. Now, he didn't deny the facts. If someone's been diagnosed with a serious illness, we don't live in a fantasy world and pretend that's not happened. If someone is genuinely looking for breakthrough in healing or breakthrough in salvation or looking for a change of circumstances in their life, overcoming faith doesn't deny the circumstances. We begin to dialogue with the Father. We begin to dialogue with the Lord. Lord, you've called me to this, but it sure doesn't look as if it's working out to plan. What's going on? And that's absolutely healthy and right to do that. Don't think doubts, all doubts are wrong. This isn't a doubting Thomas. This is a man of faith and courage and reality. If you've called me to overcome an oppressing army, it doesn't look very good. How are we going to do it? Well, in the end, Gideon asks for a number of signs to confirm that God is with him. We haven't got time to look at them all, but there are two that are very famous, and you can read about them in... Judges chapter 6, verses 36 to 40. And they're called the signs of the fleece. Now, 
What that means is this. Gideon, he's had this word, go fight the Midianites, and he's asking for signs to authenticate that God's with him. And one of the signs, he says, is I'm going to put a fleece on the ground, and in the morning, if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, I'll know you're with me. He does that, and that happens. And then he does it again. I'm going to put another fleece down, and if the fleece is wet and the ground's dry, I'll really know you're with me. Now, I've heard some very wrong teaching on this. It comes from conservatives more than it does charismatics, but it can come from both, that Gideon is unbelieving here. He's not unbelieving at all. He's heard the word, and he's asking for signs to flesh out and confirm the word. This is the true teaching on this. You don't ask for signs as a substitute for faith. Jesus said, Woe to you, unbelieving generation, who asks for a sign. No sign will be given it to you but the sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah is the preaching of the crucified Christ in resurrection, shadowed in the story, fulfilled in himself. You don't ask for a sign to substitute for faith. You don't ask for a healing to substitute for your lack of faith. You don't ask for a magical sign to come because you haven't got faith. The true teaching seen in Gideon, affirmed by Jesus, if you've got a faith, the seed of a mustard, mustard seed, a little bit of faith, you can test me, you can ask, you can flesh it out. I'm your father. I want to assure you. I'm with you. I want you to have the confidence in yourself that I've got in you when you go to this battle. I'm not out to make you exposed or feel afraid or feel you've got to go in without the conviction of knowing that I'm with you. And so Gideon asks for these signs and it fleshes out his faith. Let me put it to you this way. Matthew 1.23 says this, where it said of Mary, what is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. And she becomes pregnant with Jesus. And real faith begins with conception, size of a seed. And then it grows. Two months, three months, five. In Abby's case, eight, is it? Now, you can tell Abby's pregnant. We know, but you can tell. And faith, as it grows from conception... As it matures, as we begin to ask for God to confirm with signs and wonders and reality. Moses did the same, and God gave it to him. The staff became a snake and all of that kind of stuff. It's supernatural signs, marriage of word and spirit, confirming that God's with you. And then when you speak to others who are going with you, they're inspired because they can see you're a man of word and spirit. You're not just a man tripping out words that don't mean anything. If Gideon had come to me and said, let's go and have a fight, I'd have said, well, what's your backing, what's your confidence? I've heard from God. How do you know you've heard from God? Well, I heard a voice. And what else have you done? And what else have you seen? Well, when I put a fleece out, this happened. When I put a fleece out, this happened. When I put out an offering to the Lord, the angel of the Lord consumed it with fire. And that's not the only sign he gets. If you actually look at the fight in chapter 7, Gideon is so still wanting to know that God's with him. And I love the way the father just continues to walk with him. He says, the Lord does in chapter 7, why don't you go into the Midianite camp before you fight? I'm paraphrasing it, but it's not a disaccurate one. Why don't you go into the Midianite camp before you fight and you'll hear something that will really encourage you, Gideon. 
And if you're still afraid of going there on your own, take your mate down with you so that you can have a bit of courage. He's doing everything he can to encourage this man of valor. And Gideon goes into the camp and he hears a Midianite say, I had a dream last night. A barley loaf came into the tent of the Midianites and knocked over the tent. And one of the other Midianites said to him in Gideon's hearing, this can only be that the Lord has given the Midianites over to Gideon. That is when his faith became fully pregnant and birthed action. It birthed the word and work that we see in chapter 7 where his army taken down from 32,000 to 300, begins to start to engage in this battle. Now, again, this story is so familiar to many of you, it loses its power. We think, oh, 32,000 down to 300, yeah, we know what that means. Well, let me give you like this in terms of odds. Let's say there's 120, let's, let's say double the size of this people here. I'm Gideon. Right, we're going to go out and fight an army of 100,000 plus, who's with me? I don't think any of you would even remotely come close to saying, yes, I'm with you, unless you had clearly heard the navigation lights of faith from who I am in the Lord. I've seen this fleece. I've seen this fleece. I've seen this offering. There's been this dream, and it's specific, and it's affirming who we are in God to take on the Midianites. Now, if I'd heard that and I said no, then I'm in unbelief. Because I'm seeing a fully fleshed out faith with clear word and spirit marriage, and I'm without excuse. That's why it was so serious when people rejected Jesus. When he said to you, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah will raise up and judge this generation, because if the miracles that have been done then, that have been done here, they would have repented. You see, the gospel is not a load of information. It is the revelation of the Trinity. It is the revelation of the righteousness of God. It is revelation of who Jesus is. It is the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It is the revelation of the love of God. It is the revelation of who our creator is. And it's not something you get up here. Oh, if I just think hard enough, I'll believe. If I just feel and whip myself up, I'll believe. It is a powerful encounter with a living God who is for you. That's what Midian, that's what Gideon had when he took on the Midianites. Now, moving on, well, applying this <clears throat> to King's Church, I think a lot of the time over the years, we've been asking God, where are you taking us in Lordswood? Where are you taking us in Southampton? Where are you taking us in our Samaria, which is France and now Ireland? Where are you taking us in the ends of the earth? And all of those are very valid questions. I think it's great to hear a vision for Congo and get behind that. And we begin to be like midwives birthing something so that something real and concrete is established in that part of Africa. I think it's great to be behind Cyril and Gabrielle in Ireland for the same reasons. We haven't heard from John or Roger yet about Rwanda, but that would be great to hear that at some point. What's happening in Thailand? What's happening in Alpha? What's happening in Miracle Street with Steve Lee? I've got a video to show you from Steve Lee's Miracle Street. It's wonderful. There's lots of things that God is birthing around us. And when you actually talk to the people concerned, 
They're like Gideon. They can tell you clear-cut stories of why they are doing what they're doing. It is not coincidence, Colin, that you've got John 10.10 at your baptism 31 years ago, and today you're publicly sharing John 10.10 for Congo. Those of you who don't know me, those of you who do know me, if you've got a calling from God, I take what he said extremely seriously. Because when you get a calling from the word that is clear... You can build on it. I love prophecy. I love dreams and words and pictures and all those things. But they are very secondary to getting you calling from the word. Now Gideon couldn't do that. He had a bit of access to the Torah, but not much in his day. There wasn't an Old Testament canon or a New Testament canon. We do have that. We have the complete canon of scripture that we can draw from to get calling from. And... I was really excited when you shared that because you know how passionate I am about that, that we bring our callings and get them from the word. So moving on, when he went into battle, this full-blown pregnant vision, you're going to defeat the Midianites and liberate uh, Israel. He went with 300 men, not 32,000. He might think, wow, that's a bit of a, bit of a risk. Back in 1940, this is a true story, you can read this up. I think it was Adolf Galland. He was a Luftwaffe squadron leader at the time. Or the equivalent of what they call them, Luftwaffe, whatever it is, leader. He was a high-ranking Luftwaffe guy. And he was being interviewed by Hermann Göring, because the Battle of Britain wasn't going the way the Germans wanted it in August 1940. And he said, look, what is it you need to win this battle, to crush the RAF? And he... He was very brave, and he said, if you give me a squadron of Spitfires, I'll win it. But we can't beat that plane. That's why we won the Battle of Britain, because we had quality airmen and quality pilots and quality planes. We might have numbered four to one, but if you've got quality, you'll win. Now, I want to encourage every one of you in this church, and this isn't me trying to soup you up or big you up, because I know all of you well enough to know I can't do that. There is a quality in this church beyond its numerical strength. This church is like a a squadron of Spitfires. It has quality written right through it. I know that because I lead it, and it's a challenge. It's debatable, which is actually the easiest church to lead. A church with people who don't really have an interest in serving God, or a church who really do really have a powerful serving heart for the Lord. And they're both challenges, but there's a quality that is beyond its numerical strength. And that isn't me saying that. That's the Lord saying it, and he said it through a number of people who I trust over the years, two of whom are dead. One of them was Drew Wilkinson, one of them was Ken McGreevy. And people on the outside coming in, they say, you've got a really solid quality church. I don't get emails slagging me off. I don't have too much stuff to deal with that a lot of church pastors are nailed on the floor with. We don't have rabid moral issues where people are trying to get out of an unhappy marriage and get into another one because they think it's great and the leader actually is setting the example. We don't have that. We don't have biblically illiterate people who actually don't understand the scriptures. We have very, very good men and women here. Now, there may be problems, there may be issues in our lives, 
what the devil loves to do is come and put a magnifying glass on the problem, magnify it up. But actually, I think we need to put the magnifying glass on who you are. Mighty man of valor, mighty woman of God, who you are. The spirit of God is with you. Go in the strength that you have. Not as a builder in my case, but in whatever God has called you to do. John Mears, is he here this morning? John, that was a tremendous message last week, wasn't it, those of us who heard it? It was a great message, wasn't it? And I hope you, I hope you preach far, far better than me any day of the week. And at 21, I wasn't even close to where you are. Now, he's been invested in by many people over the years. I'm not putting you on a pedestal, John, because you know I love you, and you know we have honest chats together. But he's not your average intern. People like Paul and Irene, they've gone for it in France for 17 years. A lot of people, when they've gone 17 months and struggled, give up. They've kept persevering. Simon and Claire are leading a beta group at the moment, aren't you? And I'm here and it's going really well. It's a fantastic group. It doesn't surprise me. And there's plenty of others I could name and I don't want to because I don't embarrass people. But we are not wimps. We are not people who are under the cosh. We're not the tail. We're like a quality of squadron, spitfires. It's quality, not quantity. Now, I'm going to finish with chapter 8. Chapter 6 and 7 we've looked at in sort of over, overview. But chapter 8 is quite interesting. It's one of those chapters that's often overlooked. But... Uh, I don't think we should overlook it. We won't look at it for more than three or four minutes because we don't have time. But it's really important to deal with issues that are in our heart that aren't right. And chapter 8, you see Gideon at his worst. Now the men of Ephraim come to him and they say, why didn't you go and help? Why didn't you call us to help fight the Midianites? How dare you? I'm paraphrasing this. I know the story well enough to do it. Why didn't you call us to fight the Midianites? And Gideon gets very insecure. Rather than saying, the Lord's called me, he starts trying to justify himself. If you know your Bibles, you know that Ephraim and Manasseh were the sons of Joseph who were adopted by Jacob. This is sibling rivalry. He was from the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh were the firstborn, but they didn't get the firstborn's blessing. Ephraim did. I put it in the handout. And the Ephraimites came as the firstborn and thought, well, you know, why haven't you involved us? We're the ones who should have been involved. Why, why someone like you done this without involving us? And he gets a little bit hurt. He then moves on in the journey, and he starts talking to the men of Succoth. And he says, can you give me some bread and provision while I go and mop up these Midianites? Because what had happened, they'd won the battle, but the kings had ran away. And that's what happened. Quite happens. Kings run away while the rest of the army sort of, you know, I think it's time to get out of here. Um, It's true. That's the difference between a hireling and a good shepherd. A hireling will run when the things get going that answer get easy. True shepherd will stick around and take the bullets. For the flock. And so Gideon chases after these kings and he goes to the men of Succoth and he says, Can you give me some bread and provision to help me fight them? And they say to him, They put their, you know, I can imagine them putting their arms together and saying, Well, you haven't got them yet, so why should we? Who do you think you are? And as you read the text, he gets really angry. And then he goes to a place called Penwell 
And he asks them there, can you give me some provisions so that I can go and chase these kings? And by now he's quite tired. And they say, no, you're not. They do the same response. You haven't got them. We're not going to help you. And they were actually manifesting a lot of unbelief. Gideon had faith. These guys didn't. If you'd seen what God had done through Gideon by destroying the Midianite army, you'd have been jumping up and down and saying, you bet we'll buy into this. It's pretty obvious you're going to get them because you've already knocked over all of them by these kings. We're going to buy into this. But they didn't. But Gideon didn't respond well. He responded as a hurt man. And when he went back, having got these kings, he did some silly things. He got some briars and started to whip and beat some of the men of these two towns. And you think, why are you doing this? Why are you taking things into your own hand? Why are you repaying evil for evil? And there's something perhaps in the statement he comes out with in the very first part of the story in chapter 6. I am a small man from the smallest clan from the smallest tribe. And there was probably an inferiority complex going on in here. God taking an insignificant man and using him and then the big boys come along and they say, why haven't you used us? And him thinking, well, why aren't you honoring me? Look what I've done. It's there in the story if you look at it more than just skin deep. And then right at the end, sadly, when the Israelites say, well, we want you to rule over us anyway, he says, this is his right answer. Well, only God can rule over you. That's a good answer. But then he says, but actually, why don't you bring all the gold bullion that you've collected, put it into a heap, let's create an idol, and then you can all worship the idol, which is actually worshipping me. And it talks about, it's a very sad ending to the story. I want to read it because I don't want to do it any injustice. It said, Gideon made this gold into an ephod and set it up in his city, Opera. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Now, what is the purpose of this? And this is where I'm finishing with the application. We can know the presence of the Lord... We can know the favor of God, the grace of God, the calling of God. We can know signs fleshing out that word, whether it's fleeces or angel of the Lord taking him up or dreams and interpret. We can know all of that and no success, but still be sowing at the same time the seeds of our destruction. If we don't allow God to deal with the issues of insecurity in bitterness, unforgiveness, that well up. They were welling up in Gideon. It's there. If you read the passage over and over again, you can see it. And you think, this is so sad. And that's a picture of the book of Judges for all, most of the judges. Not, all, not even just Gideon, a lot of them. Two examples, just to finish with, why this is true. Mount Sinai, a magnificent encounter that Moses had with Yahweh. What was going on in the valley? Those of you who know your Bible, what was going on in the valley at the same time? Worship of a golden calf. Magnificent high moment in Jesus' ministry in the upper room, lying down, John on his breast, hearing the secrets of the Father's heart. What was going on at the same time? You know it. You know it. What was going on at the same time? You said it. Judas. Judas. Satan was entering Judas. And we don't live in this sort of split universe. We can have the presence of God with us magnificently. But if we are not guarding our heart and being true to what's going on inside underneath the iceberg when these things wobble up, we can potentially be sowing 
the snares, not of our own destruction, but the snares, sometimes it can lead to that. Sometimes it can just be snares that aren't helpful. There are times, and I'll apply this myself, so this is not theory. I still have to watch certain things welling up when I see certain... I mean, this week, I've had two encounters with two people, neither of them are Christians, and they play right into the areas where I think, Lord, I could blow it here if I said the wrong thing. I could really blow it. I, I mean, Fiona saw my reaction to the one person we saw in Sainsbury's. She said, I don't know what you're reacting there for. It's because I know this person's history. And I was so angry with what I saw. And it played right into the words you gave last week. I thought, what do I do here? Do I love and win? Or do I blurt out? Now, at the moment, by God's grace, I feel I'm in a purple patch in terms of living for him, knowing him, walking with him. But that doesn't inoculate me from potentially stumbling if I'm not real about the things that I'm still battling with inside. Amen? And they can be different for all of us. And as a church, I think the grace of God is beginning to... There's a bit of momentum here at the moment. It's lovely. And as we keep praying and keep pushing forward, let's just keep guarding our heart, guarding one another. If we see something like we see in Gideon here coming up and surfacing, let's be our brother's keeper and say, that's probably not the kindest thing to have said or done. Even if we're at the same time seeing great healings and salvations. Amen.